0: This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from experts across the U.S. Ringler Associates, celebrating 35 years of successfully helping injured people and their families. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations. And again, thanks for joining us today. Well, before we begin our uh, very interesting show, let me introduce my co-host and Ringler colleague, Jim Early. Jim is Ringler's Eastern Regional Director and Manager of Northern New England, and he's got more than 33 years of insurance and structured settlement experience. And since 1985, he's arranged more than 5,000 structured settlements In every state. And Jim, I think that's a lot of frequent flyer miles.
2: Absolutely, Larry. (laughs) You must fly for free a lot. Yeah, and the problem is, as you well know, when you travel that much, the last thing you want to do with your free time is take a free airplane ride.
1: (laughs) I know it so well. I know it so well. Well, it's probably safe to say that the majority of you and us have seen the TV advertisements in which several bad actors yell out from windows, it's my money and I want it now. Well, at a time when the economy continues to sputter and people all around need the security of guaranteed income, consumers are being inundated with commercials from factoring companies that promise quick cash in return for selling their structured settlement annuities and often at a significant discount. Well, our discussion today revolves around how the legal system looks at these transactions and a recent case that has interesting implications. And to help us do all that, let me introduce today's special guest, Attorney Peter Vidola from Seiger, Gefeller, and Laurie LLP in West Hartford, Connecticut. They've got special expertise in the areas of appellate advocacy, complex civil litigation, commercial litigation, and insurance regulation. And Peter has received national recognition for his involvement in all of those types of factoring cases that we're going to talk about today. Well, Peter, welcome to Ringler Radio.
3: Thank you, Larry. It's very nice to be back again, and it's good to see you as well, Jim.
1: Well, Thanks I always liked, Peter, like I always so. greeting someone from the state of Connecticut. Uh, I have a lot of fondness for that place. Well, Peter, let's backtrack a little bit. You've become one of the leading advocates for reforming the whole area of factoring structured settlements. And what was the reason you've taken on this role? Was, was it born of some personal experience with one of your clients, or was it just a, a general interest that you had?
3: Well, uh, the reform really has to, to come from, uh, number one, things like this where we're getting information out and we'll be talking about a lot of different aspects of, of factoring transaction. It's also got to come from judges who apply the law and from from other uh, areas as well. But for, from my personal experience, my job has been to represent um, usually insurance companies in uh, matters involving structured settlement, sometimes brokers as well. Um, but I have often uh seen cases where, on behalf of an insurance company uh i'm representing them enforcing a consumer protection law against a factoring company, and there have been many instances where uh the the stories are just there there're a lot of very sad stories i'll tell one that just sort of sticks out of my mind yeah please um where there was a individual who had done a uh factoring transaction. Uh, and then wanted to do another one with a different factoring company. And as the individual testified, and you know, these days in litigation, there aren't too many Perry Mason moments. So here, here's, <laughs> here's one of those moments. Um, it became clear that the first judge realized this was a mentally disabled individual and therefore set up a court account that the individual was going to draw from, that the factoring company in the first transaction was going to pay into, and when he needed more money, such as you know, when the second transaction came around, he needed it for surgery, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he could go back to the court and say, that from that first transaction, could you pay me? And he didn't remember any of that, and it wasn't until the court really delved into the details and we had him on the stand and we were asking questions that that came out and the judge turns to the clerk and says, go look this up. There was more than enough money to cover his surgery. And then the judge turns to the f- second factoring company and says, get out of here.
1: You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly the problem that a lot of folks are facing. And, uh, you know, lawmakers in a lot of states really felt so strongly about the benefits of structured settlements just to protect people like you just mentioned. And we're so concerned about the growing trend of Claimants selling them off to these factoring companies um, at substantial discounts, that a lot of them have passed laws to slow down the process. So let's talk about some of the laws that have been enacted to help protect these consumers.
3: What we're talking about are the Structured Settlement Protection Acts, and 47 states have them. Uh, and they are not exactly the same from state to state, but they're very similar. They've been based on models, uh, model legislation that, uh, for instance, the National Structured Settlement Trade Association was very involved in, in those models. Um, and there are similarities, and they, the three key components, uh, number one, there's there has to be disclosure right up front of certain uh, specific and important terms of the transaction. So the factoring company has to give a disclosure statement to the annuity, to the, the payee, mm-hmm. um to use the Structured Settlement Protection Act's term, um before anything happens. And then there has to be a court proceeding. Mm-hmm. And the court has to, to look at the transaction and a judge stands bef- between the uh the, the transaction, meaning, you know, there, it won't happen unless a judge signs off on it. Uh and then there's additional protections as well that have to do with kind of um, making sure that anyone who might be affected by this will have an opportunity to be heard at a hearing, will get notice, and that kind of thing.
2: Peter, you mentioned that uh, 47 of the states have uh, enacted some model of the Structured Settlement Protection Act. California and New York, we know, are very tight. Do you see the states addressing it any further? Is the status quo fine, or where, where do you see it going from here?
3: Well, that's a good question, Jim, because uh, it's a timely one. New York, in fact, just enacted an additional revision to their statute, uh, went into effect with the first of this year, and uh, it's one of the states, not that many have been, have been doing that kind of thing where they've been uh, tweaking their statutes, um, improving them somewhat. But New York's, if you read the legislation... It looks uh, really like there's not too much to it. There's just a few lines. But what it did was make a few improvements like, for instance, it says, unless there's a really good reason that's been provided to the judge, then the payee, the annuitant, has to show up at the hearing. Makes sense when you think about it. But there are times um, when, you know, that doesn't happen. Uh, We've heard from judges that that must happen, but I don't know that, uh, you know, Every judge looks at it that way. Well, in New York, they have to look at it that way now. And then there's also a provision in the New New York statute that says, if the payee has done a prior transfer, like our friend that I mentioned who had that, that account that he didn't remember, um, that information has to be provided to a judge. That's an improvement um, to get that kind of information to judges. No
1: question. Well, you know, there's a California case, Peter, we've heard about that somewhat stands out in this arena. Tell us about the case Saron versus 321 Henderson Receivables. What's that all about?
3: Well, this, if if uh, if you remember what's been going on in California, there was a series of cases out of Fresno County, got a lot of attention, uh, led to some litigation, including uh, appellate court decisions. This is kind of the son of Fresno County in some respects, it's a, a payee alleging that uh There's been a violation of the California Structured Settlement Protection Act in some respects, and the transactions that uh, he entered into should be undone and he should be um, uh, awarded some damages. And in particular, what he uh, said was he entered into two different transactions with a J.G. Wentworth affiliate um, and that J.G. Wentworth, according to his allegations, violated the requirements under the California Structured Settlement Protection Act that have to do with independent professional advice, because in his words, they steered him to a particular attorney and they made him pay for uh, the attorney's fees rather than uh, the factoring company, J.G. Wentworth, because again, in his argument, uh, the California statute says he gets a certain uh, attorney's fees uh, up to a certain point, the factoring company has to pay. And in addition, Factoring company can't steer pays to any particular. Per-
1: I, I had understood that in California, as Jim was talking about the tighter rules, uh, that the an original attorney who represented the plaintiff in his original litigation is supposed to be contacted to come into the court at some point. Is that is that part of this case as well? Is this it, part of the that argument? is
3: not, and that's that's uh, an interesting point that you raised because there was some question as to whether the California. Uh, structured Settlement Protection Act meant that, and it's been revised in, in the, uh, to a great extent. The revisions are uh, really an improvement, but I don't know that it really can be read that way anymore. I will say there are two states, Nevada and Indiana, w- if I'm remembering right, uh, that are the two that make it very clear. Uh, if you are the attorney who represented the individual at the time of their Structured Settlement you are entitled to notice if they do a factoring transaction. Um, but in, in Cerrone, that, the, the allegations had to do with um, Cerrone saying, uh, because of these violations, these transactions that I did uh, should be undone. And uh, the, um, they, they really had to do with the fact that he's saying his, his independent professional advice from an attorney wasn't independent, uh, and wasn't paid for in a manner consistent with the California statute.
2: How, how was the case resolved, Peter? Was it, what was the ultimate uh, remedy or decision by the court?
3: Well, the um, the trial court said, even if we take your allegations as true, Mr. Cerrone, uh, you don't have a case because there were court orders from trial courts in California. When J.G. Wentworth did these transactions, they went to the trial courts, they got court orders that approved these transactions, and those court orders said the California statute has been complied with. And the trial court said, Mr. Cerrone, you didn't make allegations that rose to the level of the point where we would say those orders should be undone. Um, And then what's happened since then is that, and really what's gotten the attention is that this case went on appeal. Uh, Cerone appealed that ruling, and the appellate court ruled this year um, that the trial court got it right as to the transactions in the past, these two transactions that Cerone did. But Cerone also made some allegations saying, oh, and by the way, they're still doing it. Mm-hmm. And that was a separate uh, set of allegations that the appellate court said as to those allegations, we're reversing the trial court, and you can proceed on that claim. Because if your allegations are true, then you do have the possibility of uh, winning on the merits.
1: Now, you've written about this case and this appeals uh, decision. What what, what essentially have you been hearing back as a reaction to what you've been writing
3: about? Well, uh, a couple of things. And one is that um, the general idea is that a court order is a court order. Mm-hmm. That's, that's – uh, you know <laughs> not not big news but it's and it's uh, something though that is a, it's a good reminder to all of us that when a structured settlement factoring transaction happens in this day and age it has to be uh by way of a court order and uh that court order is like any other court order it's presumed to be valid and unless there's something very unusual um that's going to stay that way what we're hearing about is sometimes unusual things happen. The other thing about this case, though, is what do factoring companies take away from it? And this is, these are just questions that people have raised, which have to do with the idea that, well, if you're going to get a court order and it's going to stand um, because it is a court order, uh, will you try to get a court order by hook or by crook? Will it matter? Um, so is there some sort of incentive to those kind of things that we, uh, we would be concerned about?
2: So then it, essentially we do not have the closure you would anticipate from the court order, is it? That- <laughs>
3: um Well, I will say this about the the appellate opinion. The they did flesh out some more of the details about the um what's needed to undo a court order. And they and I don't want to get into the legal jargon really much, but I'll just say they made a distinction between Extrinsic fraud and intrinsic fraud, and uh, all I'll say about that is, well,
1: they I, keep said, he- I hear the word fraud twice. Right.
3: <laughs> they said if 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 Raúl Soron had alleged extrinsic fraud, which means fraud that duped him out of his constitutional right to a day in court, told him essentially that there was no hearing, or. Didn't give him notice of any, you know, that kind of thing. If that had happened, then he would have made the kind of allegations that could have ended up overturning the orders. The appellate court said he didn't do that. But what's, I think, interesting also about this case is to say, well, could it have been a closer call? Could it have been a closer call if Cerrone had said, uh, well, I was advised by an attorney who wasn't independent and wasn't independent in this way, you know, let's say he had alleged that this attorney was influenced in such a way that he didn't advise Cerrone that he could back out of the transfer right at the time of the hearing, which is a right that payees have under California statute.
1: Well, well just practically speaking, how can a, an attorney recommended by the factoring company be considered independent?
3: That's an excellent question, and the fact is the California statute defines what independent professional advice is, and it says uh, independent means no, it can't be steered there by a factoring company, can't be uh, compensated by a factoring company. Um, If Sarone had made those allegations and there hadn't been a court order, and and in fact, as to the ongoing allegations, that's what I think the appellate court is saying, um, then maybe there is a you know, something that courts will want to take a look at on the merits.
2: Knowing that a fool and his money can be soon parted. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, and
1: how, why, why are you looking at me? When you say
2: that? <laughs> <laughs> how do you respond to the argument that uh, it's there? They should be able to sell their structured settlement payments. They're adults and presumably competent to make a decision to do so.
3: Jim, that's a good question. Let's, let's put it this way you have a $20 bill. You may think, I should decide how I'm going to spend that $20 bill and not a judge or anyone in the government. That's something that we probably would all say, oh, I understand that. Let's say you have another $20 bill. And that $20 bill is only in your pocket because you got a tax break. Because that tax break said you were in a group of people who are injured or likely to have been injured. And therefore, we should make sure you get that tax break. And one of the reasons for that tax break, by the way, is so that you don't have to be on some sort of government assistance at some point in your life. Well, if you want to get rid of that first $20 bill, sure, why not? But what about that second $20 bill? Would it make sense for the government to say, we're just going to make sure things are okay before you go ahead and do that?
1: Makes sense. Makes sense to me, too. <laughs> I hope uh, hope the audience feels the same way. Well, let's take a quick break right now, and uh, let's get back in a minute. We'll have lots more to talk about this important subject of factoring when Ringler Radio returns. We'll be right back.
0: This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for 35 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in the settling of physical injury claims. Experience counts. Over $23 billion in structures benefiting 166,000 injured individuals and their families and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Radio is celebrating its sixth year right here on the Legal Talk Network, produced by broadcast professionals. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to The Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to other shows on The Legal Talk Network. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not?
1: I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center.
3: Oh, I need to do that too.
1: Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE.
0: Perfect.
3: I'll do that right now.
1: Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. And my co-host today is Ringler Eastern Regional Director Jim Early and our special guest, Attorney Peter Vidola, partner at Seiger Gefeller Lori LLP. And let's continue now our conversation about the case of Cerrone versus Henderson out there in California. Peter, before approaching a transaction in which someone sells his or her structured settlement, does the judge ask the consumer if he's been advised about his rights? How does that work?
3: Well, Larry, um, we don't know about in Cerrone whether that happened or not uh, but because sometimes um, these cases go before judges and it's a quick, you know, one, two, three, and they're done. But I do know from my experience, I've seen judges when they have a structured settlement protection act case in front of them, and this is in a number of states I've seen this, they pull out a piece of paper and it has a list of questions that they're going to run through to make sure that they get the right answers before they sign off on that. I I don't think that happens in a majority of cases, but I think it's happening a little more frequently than we used to see, and it's a good thing. So, yes, um, I've seen judges walk through and say, uh, do you understand that, you know, you won't be getting these payments now that you sell them? Uh, did you try other alternatives? Did you look around? Did you shop around? Did you um, consider getting, you know, uh, help from a consumer credit uh, counseling agency, a number of things like that.
1: You know, those are pretty intimidating procedures for a lot of people who aren't used to those. And uh, I can imagine that individual nodding his head or nodding her head and just uh, trying to agree and and just so they can get this process over with. That's why this independent counsel makes so much sense. And California seems to, in any event, be leading the way in that regard, uh, even though I think you you mentioned that maybe it isn't interpreted that way. Uh, Tell us about how California is restricting some of these transactions with some of their rules because we know California tends to lead the nation in a lot of these areas. Right. What's going on?
3: Uh, well, California amended their Structured Settlement Protection Act uh, effective in 2010. And uh, the California statute really does things, puts some more flesh on the bones more so than many of the other statutes uh, where it says things, for instance, it has a list of 14 different things that the court should consider when... Uh, reviewing a structured settlement factoring transaction in front of the judge. And it, it's a list that includes things that I think to you or me would, oh, well, gee, that's common sense, but putting it into a statute so that judges have that reminder um, and factoring companies have to, you know, be uh, aware that they may be a, uh, asked to provide that kind of information. That's a whole other thing. So that information may include things like whether there's been prior transfers, which we talked about. Uh, also, are there ongoing medical expenses, and was the Structured Settlement designed to deal with them? Uh, was the Structured Settlement designed to provide living expenses, and is it still needed for that purpose? Those I think are some great additions to the California Structured Settlement Protection Act um, that were made in, in with its 2010 revision. And I'll just also mention that you asked about uh, independent professional advice, and California actually is not one of the states that say structured settlement payees or annuitants when they sell their, their payments have to get independent professional advice, but it is the state that says if it happens, um, the factory company has to pay for a portion. It's the only state that says that. There are um, a number of states, I think uh, 11 states, that say a payee must get the advice uh, of an independent professional if they're going to do a factoring transaction. In the other states, they simply have to be advised that they should get it, and then there may be some additional provision saying what happens if they go ahead and get it. Obviously, it has to be independent and some of the other things that we've talked about.
0: Recognizing
2: what Larry said, that California tends to lead the country in, in this type of uh, uh, law... Do you see a, an effort by any of the other states to follow suit or perhaps provide additional protection for structured settlement recipients
3: uh well we see we see that sometimes and and for instance there's uh, a bill in another state uh, that was pending just recently that looked to me like it was modeled after the california uh statute um and there's as I said, uh, uh, the additional revisions in New York, and that's not the first time the New York statute has been revised. So there's been some uh, improvement. Um, Sometimes the Structured Settlement Protection Acts are revised in ways that, you know, you kind of scratch your head. But I think for the most part, uh, the legislation that we've seen has uh, made incremental improvements.
2: Peter, I'm sure our listeners want to know this, and Larry and I who do this for a living, we recognize you as the guy that knows a lot about this. What's your advice to someone who's thinking about selling their structured settlement payments?
3: (laughs) Get all the information you can. Educate yourself. Educate yourself about what your rights are, what you're um, getting yourself into, uh, about the businesses you're communicating with, um, what your other options are, and what this means. And I'll, uh, you know, we've been talking about inter- independent professional advice. Really, one of the best ways to educate yourself is to get a professional advisor who knows what they're talking about. Um, and you know, that is not always an easy thing to do. But um, you know, yeah, I- it could cost you if you don't.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't think it's any surprise that most of these uh, commercials uh, come on television uh, in the wee hours of the morning. When <laughs> people have a mindset that's a little different than normal. Uh, or they react to it in a way that they have certain needs that crop up, and they may be very legitimate needs, but maybe they're temporary, and they they sell away uh, really a lot of their future in in that process.
3: And some of those ads, I think, really um, set them up for disappointment. When they use a phrase like cash now, well, number one, now doesn't mean now Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part because there's a process of going to a judge, uh, which may take weeks or even months and the judge may say no. Um, and is it all their cash? As some of those ads say? Well, no. It's a ex- discounted, right. sometimes extremely discounted portion of that. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, uh, it's you know a little disturbing to think that in the mind of a lot of the payees, they're going to be connecting this. A disappointment, this emotion, mm. with their structured settlement because of this, these misleading advertisements. I'm sure
1: a lot of them sitting there that at that late hour are thinking, you know I'll have money to go to Vegas this weekend, and yeah. the, you know it's a whole different mindset. Well, you've been involved in a lot of these cases, and uh, obviously a lot of them are coming up as well. Uh, are you sensing that some of this constant philosophy of be careful? do the right thing? Is it, is it getting through to, to the folks that you're talking about?
3: Well, I think theres there's been improvement. I think what especially we like seeing are um, the, the judges uh, paying attention. So for instance, th- that legislation we talked about in New York, not earth shattering, but it really was the result of the judges in New York saying, we ought to have some additional things going on here so that we uh, have that information about uh, the prior transfer and where that money went that time and that kind of thing. So there, there are um, good things happening. Uh, again, kind of the incremental improvements. I think that's that's where we've been headed.
1: No question. I think uh, certain judges' conferences that take place over the over the course of certain uh, times of the year. Someone like yourself would be a great speaker to those to those groups, <laughs> <Amen>. giving <me laughs> them some giving some uh, input. Thanks. Well, listen. <laughs> uh, I just want to thank you, Peter. If someone wanted to get a hold of you to discuss this issue more or find out more about it, how would they do that? Absolutely. They
3: can contact me at Seiger, Gefeller, Lori. We have offices in Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. And my number is 860-760-8419. Uh, you've mentioned, I think, my writing uh, among the places that I write are on the two blogs that my firm runs, Insurance Developments. And the other one, which really focuses on factoring in similar types of markets, is the Secondary Insurance Market blog.
1: And how would they get to the secondary insurance market blog? Is there a website, or is it, Do they go to your your, your firm site to get there?
3: You can go either way. And in fact, if you you know Google right. the term secondary insurance market blog, it'll probably pull up the you know, the most
1: recent posts. That's helpful. And Jim, how would somebody get a hold of you? Easiest way, Larry, is through the
2: Ringler website www.ringlerassociates.com, where or they're free to call me on my direct line at the office six zero three four two three
1: Zero zero five five. And I want to remind all of our listeners you can download any of the Ringler radio shows, and there have been quite a few of them on some very good topics. Get it on the ringler or legal Talk And I might remind our listeners the Ringler website has been redesigned, it's really snazzy. I encourage you to go visit it. So, uh, Peter, thank you again for a terrific show. And Jim, thank you. thanks for helping. Larry, thank you for having me again. And for all of our listeners, go out and have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. In its 6 year on Legal Talk Network with over a half a million listeners, Ringler Associates, we're experienced counts since 1975. Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in physical injury claims. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and prudential.